Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are in the last church of the seven churches of Revelations this morning. We're going to be in Revelations 3. You know, this week kind of got me thinking. Uh, we're, we're talking to uh, uh, some of the youth and, and, and the stuff going on with Rob and everything else. You know, it seems like we go through life. And we work at our jobs. We, you know, have our routines. We do all the family stuff. We, we have our little getaways. And sometimes we take a vacation. But in the back of our minds, sometimes we're haunted about the question of eternity. How many of you ever really thought about eternity? Yeah. It's a question that we, all, that we all deal with. It's a question that we all kind of, you know, it's there in the back of our minds. But, we, you know, it only hits us ever so often because we get so busy. We get so just, I got to get this done. I, I, I got to get that th- done. But ever so often we think about heaven and hell and the things about God. And some of us even get to a point in our life where we ask this question, and this is an okay question to ask, so I'm not, not ragging on this, okay? I'm not kind of putting this down. But we get to the question of, if perhaps I'm wasting my life, and we don't know who to talk to about it, but we think, am I wasting my life? What if I find out at the end of my journey, what will be there? Will I stand before God and realize, have I wasted my life? Some of us get haunted by those questions. And for some others of us, it's, it's just slightly nagging, you know. I, I would make a mother-in-law joke here, but I shouldn't. Slightly nagging. And some of us answered them a long time ago. See, it's difficult for us in America sometimes because we... we as bad as we got it sometimes, we got it really good. Just go to another third world country and you'll understand. Because we live in a culture that also sets our values for us. And we try to keep pace with it. But we have to stop and we have to think about the eternal questions that are there. Because we, we love to get real comfortable ignoring those, those important questions in life, don't we? We just we, we shove those questions aside and we like to be comfortable. We all like to be comfortable. Yeah. How many of you like your seat in your car being switched around? <laughs> I couldn't stand that. And, uh, you know, certain vehicles you get in, you're like, I can't believe my wife moved this seat. Well, she's shorter than I am. She can't reach the pedals. Well, get some wood. You know, just poke at them. I mean, come on. We all like to be comfortable. We hate it when we change it. Now, when I was young, I was a little devious. I know it's very hard to imagine that. 
But I like to make people uncomfortable sometimes. I like to see people squirm a little bit. You know, I grew up in a church where, where everybody sat in the same seat. That's why I keep changing the configurations ever so often. But at least once a year, if not twice a year. But, but you know, some people, man, especially when we, I grew up with pews, and certain people, that's their pew. So as a kid, I'd go sit in their pew along with a couple of friends. And you watch them come in, and they walk up, and they're like, and they're just, you know, they're talking to their spouse, and what do we do? Somebody's sitting in our seat. We all like to be comfortable. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to be comfortable in life? Not necessarily. But when I started thinking about what makes us uncomfortable, man, silence. Silence used to make me really uncomfortable. You know, that one-on-one conversation, and, 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 you know, you're having an intense conversation, and they just stop. And they're expecting you to answer. They're expecting you to say something. Or a teacher gets up and, and they just stop. They ask a question and they just stop. Well, now I use that as a teaching tool. You got to, you know, sometimes you got to make people squirm to get them to, 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 to talk a little bit. Other things that make me uncomfortable. I got a little more comfortable with electricity after a few mishaps. Like melting a screwdriver inside of a metal box. Another time, a 220 line explodes out of the bottom of a metal box. Wasn't expecting that one. I go running, and I'm calling the electrician. Get over here. I don't know what happened. He comes over, and he goes, oh. See, it was a car lift, and they just took the wires, and the wires were still in the box when they moved. It was a facility we were going into and using, and, and they just left the wires there, which was really, I mean, they could have killed me. So when it exploded, I just went running. Other things that make me uncomfortable, I hate being late. Drives me nuts. At one church, uh, we were set up teardown church. We had to be there at 7 a.m. every Sunday. So my wife and I, we finally got to a point where we drove two different cars. Because I'm always, I, I, I would like to go early, and she's like, well, let's at least be on time. If not a little few minutes late, it's fine. But that would just drive me nuts. So we finally just started, we stopped fighting on Sunday mornings because we took two cars. Now, I make it sound like I'm the good guy here. There's plenty of things that irritate my wife, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. But I've been in certain situations where you would be uncomfortable walking through a local dump in Kenya. I mean, literally, it's where the dump trucks come and they dump it out. And the reason why we were there is because people were digging through the trash and the medical waste just to find things that they could keep for themselves. And some of the people were living in the caves right next to the dump. We're talking needles and, you know, all this stuff just out there, and they're walking through. There was even a goat in the dump. Make you a little uncomfortable. Angola in the middle of a civil war with armed guards. Now, I wasn't as uncomfortable on this one. I, you know, Greece, we, we, I went to Greece, took a group there, and, you know, we, we get there, and you're, you're just jet-lagged. So we're out, you know, it's like 2 a.m. We decide, hey, let's just, we're, we're wide awake. Let's go outside. So we, we go outside, and we start walking around. There's a ton of people, and we start going over there, and we're kind of looking around. And, and, you know, now they're having the riots, so you wouldn't do this. But then there was just a whole bunch of people. We found out those were all the druggies. They're all hanging out. I wasn't that uncomfortable. But I come back home, and I drive in downtown San Francisco, and I'm just like, looking around. Uncomfortable in San Francisco. Don't ask me why. Maybe it's a language thing. But we all like things a certain way, and it's usually when we're in control. But what happens when God makes us uncomfortable? 
Today, a group of people lived in a very comfortable way. They lived in a very affluent society. It was a church from ancient, ancient times and, and, and a very affluent church. They were very comfortable. They were comfortable in how they, they were living. They were comfortable in how they were serving. They were comfortable in how they were worshiping. They were comfortable with life in general. They had all the ministries that a large church, you would expect a large church would have. But something was missing. In Revelations 3.14, Jesus says to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. Now we've got to stop there. I know I'm going really fast in the scripture today. Laodicea is in, in Asia Minor in present-day Turkey, and it was kind of interior, and all the roads kind of went through this town. Uh, you had a road that went east to Ephesus. You had a road that, that you know, north uh, that would go to Smyrna, and then another road that would go way over to China. So this was kind of the crossroads, a, a huge commercial center right here uh, in the city. And it was kind of high up on a, on a hilltop. And I got several pictures here. Um, this is one of the, the pictures kind of looking down onto the ancient uh, ruins that are there. And uh, you can imagine the ruins are this big. Imagine all the stuff that they haven't uncovered that went out from here. And, uh, you know, it's 95 A.D. When, when Jesus writes this, or Paul, uh, Paul, John writes this letter on behalf of Jesus for them. And this right here is a theater that was built into a side of a hill. And we'll talk about some of this a little later. And, and uh, you know, all the apostles have died except for John at this point. And this Laodicea was incredibly rich. And it was right next to uh, Colossae, uh, the book of Colossians. It's right there next to it. And Heriopolis, which is a great name, Heriopolis. And this is a theater in Heriopolis. It's a very kind of a metropolitan area. You know, like you go to Dallas, you're not really going to Dallas, you're going to Dallas-Fort Worth. You know, it's kind of all put together. You go up to the Bay Area, well, the Bay Area is not just Pleasanton or San Francisco or Oakland. It's just all, we just say Bay Area. Why? It's just a big area, big metropolis. So think of these three towns as that way. Filthy, filthy rich. They had three theaters Huge race course for chariots. Think of Ben-Hur for those older folks and for the young folks. You're like, who's Ben-Hur? But for the older ones, Ben-Hur. Think of the chariots and stuff. A huge race course in there. Well, in 61 AD, an earthquake completely destroyed the city. And we're not talking about, oh, just a little earthquake. We're talking about like the 1906 San Francisco earthquake where it just destroyed everything. They rebuilt the city with their own resources. Rome offered. Rome said, we will help pay for this. It would be like Washington, D.C. coming and saying, we are going to help rebuild this. And they said, no, 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 we don't want you anywhere near this because you're going to, like, tax us. We're going to rebuild it ourselves. We got enough money. And within one year, they rebuilt the city. Now, outside the city, um, uh, I'll tell you about this picture in a second, but outside the city, they had some, uh, some hot springs, and people still vacation there today to go to these hot springs. And, and they would take the, the, the lime and mold it into these little rolls, and they would send it all across the known world at that time. And, and it, was a, it was a famous eye ointment uh, for eye issues that they would have. In fact, Laodicea was known for three things. One is they were known for banking. Remember, a huge commissary, all the roads come through. So it was a good banking system. Rome protected that. 
They're also known for the hot springs. Like I said, here's a couple of pictures of, of what the hot springs look like at, at this point. It's always changing with all the minerals and stuff and how it builds up and, and, and the water from the springs that would come there. This, this eye salve was a huge market commodity then and even today. Huge moneymaker. They're also known for their black sheep. So if you're the black sheep in the family, you'd been very popular back then. But this, this wool that came from the black sheep was, was a very fine wool. It was a, you know, they'd make these black coats and garments, and they'd ship them all over the world. And, and, and you know, so this is the, the, the people that would be on the receiving end of this letter from Jesus in 95 A.D. So he says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. There is no question who this letter is from. He's bringing that out from the very beginning. He wanted to remind them who he was. You know, usually he would write a letter, you know, of these seven churches. He, uh, for most of them, he's saying, you're doing great things over here, but this one area you, you need to work on. I've been watching this, and th- this isn't going good, and I want you to, uh, here's the things I have to say about this. You need to change this. But here, there's no good thing that he has to say about Laodicea. Not one. He cuts straight to the chase. Let's talk about how you really are. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those conversations where somebody sits down and says, let's really talk about this. This is what Jesus is doing. He's fixing to give it to them. He says to them, I am the truth. I am the amen. And amen means truth. And when he says in the Bible you read truly, truly, really he's saying amen, amen. These are the words of the one who sees and understands absolute truth. He's the one that can tell you what the universe is like because he created the universe. What it's made of, the spiritual realities, how they are, and then the physical realities. Because he's been there from the beginning. In other words, you can't lie to him and you can't hide things from him. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He's establishing who he is because he's fixing to tell them some stuff that is going to be really hard for them. So he's going, I want to remind you who I am to begin with. In other words, he's qualified to tell them this. I am the ruler of the universe. See, 30 years earlier, Paul wrote them a letter. He wrote to, the, to Colossians and, and basically say, said, send, send this to Laodicea also. And he, he wrote one to Laodicea and said, send this to, to Colossae also. And, and that letter we, we don't have. It, it disappeared, so we don't have that letter uh, to Laodicea. But Paul, you know, at this point in time, Paul has been beheaded. But he wrote them this letter. And it was a very personal in his relationships. And in Colossians 4.12, it says... Uh, Papyr- uh, oh, the guy's name, I can't ever pronounce these guys. I know the name. I've said it a hundred times, and I still can't pronounce it. Who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Wouldn't you love it if somebody wrestled in prayer for you? That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Paul automatically connects all these towns. 
Verse 16, it says, After the letter has been read to you, send it also, uh, or see that it also is read in the church of Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So we see that he wrote a letter, we just don't know what it is. But we know that this little church here had powerful leaders involved in their making. Paul was involved founded by great men of God. They had this letter for 30 years. And we know that they they held it in high esteem because we have a copy of it. If you go back to chapter 1 in Colossians, you see what they've known for 30 years. He says uh, about Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In the Greek language here, firstborn means preeminency. In other words, he always was. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So for 30 years, they've studied this stuff. They knew this. Jesus was, was not just a good guy who, who you know, taught really well. He wasn't just this great man. He wasn't just this this nice man that that provided a moral law to everybody. He wasn't just a, a teacher that was crucified. He was God in a human body come to relate to us. He's the one who created the universe and came in a human form. He established who he is because Jesus has something very harsh to say to these guys. He's reminding them of his absolute powers. And then he tells him his opinion of of their church. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is one of the hardest things that Jesus has taught in the Bible. You know, when I started teaching the Word, I had a choice. Do I teach the Word of God, or do I come up with some topic that I like to teach on and match verses that match that topic and come up with a good three-point, 20-minute sermon and preach about that? Go away with some feel-good sermons. You know, topics like how to raise a G-rated kid in an R-rated world. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that sermon. I grew up topical. Nothing wrong with it. But it's stuff that people want to hear. What do I have to do to have God bless me? Well, let's come up with that topic. Well, what is God's blessing? Let's go find it every time that God gave His blessing. Let's match it up and say, well, okay, well, here's the formula. Do these six steps and God will bless you. You know, I could, have, I could have done that. How do I do this? How do I do that? I could have done that. But for me, it was not about the feel good. It was about the truth of God. God doesn't want us just to feel good, though he does want us to feel good. Don't get me wrong. He wants us to be happy. That's why he's laid out all these things for us to learn and, and to enjoy life. He wants that. But he also is like a great parent. You know, after I brush my son's teeth, which is a chore in itself, 
give us giving him a little fluoride that he's got to have because Tulare doesn't put fluoride in the water. When he goes, cookie. And then he goes, two cookies. I don't give it to him. And he goes, uh, the other night, it was so funny, he goes, <laughs> and he puts his hands up to his eyes. Oh, he looks so cute. It was so funny. And it was hard not to laugh. But I'm sitting there going, no, I'm being a good parent. I just brushed your teeth. You're going to bed. I'm not going to give you more sugar. God doesn't want us just to feel good all the time. Sometimes he's like a good parent. God wants to fix us. And sometimes fixing us involves hard truth. So he tells them, you are neither hot nor cold. Now in the Greek, the translators didn't really want to put this in there. But basically the the translation means, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Not just spit, but vomit you out of my mouth. You're vile. He's going, I wish you were something. But you're nothing. You make me puke. See, Laodicea, they didn't have any huge persecutions in their church, especially against Christians. They had no major doctrinal errors, no major sin that was, that was happening in the group that needed to be addressed. No splitting, no deceptions going on, no gossiping. They just had nothing, nothing. They were a nothing church because they did nothing. They were a useless church. Satan didn't even have to concern himself with that church because who cares? You're nothing. You don't do this. You don't do that. You just kind of sit there. You know, other churches he had problems with, you know, prostitution. You know, Paul had to address church splits and gossiping and deception. But this church he is angry with. You know what? Anger is not really the right word. Vile is coming out of his mouth because they know better. See, some scholars believe that, that, you know, hot or cold means good or evil. I think it has more with just, you know, have to do with something like one or the other. Not necessarily good or evil, but just something. You know, I don't think Jesus wanted them to be evil. That goes against Scripture. It goes against everything he stands for. It's just that he didn't want them to be in the middle of the road either. Being in the middle of the road, what happens? You get hit. You know, Jesus, a bruised reed, he doesn't break off. It says in the Scriptures, a smoldering candle he will not snuff out. He is tender to those that are coming along because he's always working with us. And I think we forget that. We go and hide from Jesus because we feel our sin. You know, when we finally recognize our sin, we go and hide and Jesus is going, no, 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 I'm not going to cut you off at the head for that. Come back here. Let me forgive you. Let me work with you because he's always working with us. He's always bringing us to him. He doesn't get mad at us for being on the journey of life. I think he was saying, I wish you were something. I wish you were a church that was a serving church. I wish you were a church that was full of power or prayer. But you're nothing and you make me puke. I almost asked Mark to make lukewarm coffee for everybody today. But you would all be upset. 
And you, then you wouldn't listen to, you know, you wouldn't sing the songs, you wouldn't worship God, and then you wouldn't listen to the sermon. You'd just be like, my coffee wasn't hot today. You know, things that are, that are hot are supposed to be hot. Things that, that are cold are supposed to be cold. Who likes really hot ice cream? You get my point. Who loves really cold fries? You know, the, those leftover fries you bring home and put in the fridge, and you pull out and you go, oh, I love these fries, Right? Never bring home fries as a leftover. It's like, what are you thinking? Verse 17, he says, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Man, this church has it all together, don't they? They're saying we are rich. Man, they're top of the heap, but man, the city just crumbles. And, and you know, we, when the city crumbled, we rebuilt it. Rome, forget about you. We can do it ourselves. They took pride in this ability. Have you ever seen the movie Death Becomes Her? It's an older movie with, with Goldie Hawn and, and uh, who else was in it? Uh, Bruce Willis and Meryl Street, I think it was. And these, these two rich ladies, they were best friends. And they were growing old, and they wanted to stay young. So, so the, the, the movie, they sold their soul, so to speak. They took a potion to live forever. But the last thing the guy said to them was, and they weren't listening at this point, take care of your bodies. Well, these ladies, they were, they were both very jealous of each other. They were best friends that, that you know, that loved to hate each other. And they get into this huge fight, and they realize that they can't really hurt each other because they're going to live forever. You know, so one grabs a shotgun and blows a hole in the other one. The, the other one's all alive. She's like, I got a hole in me. So they start this, this I mean, you know, and one of them's got their, their neck, you know, the other lady breaks the other lady's neck. So, so she's walking along holding up her head all the time, you know, and she keeps doing this. It's kind of, kind of a funny scene. But they're acting like everything is all right. They're dead, but they're walking around like they're living. I mean, obvious problems. Anybody walked up and said, dude, what's wrong with your head? But they're acting like everything is fine. See, I think the church of Laodicea is the same way. Jesus says you think everything is fine. You think everything is lovely. Everything is going well, but you can't see that you're dead. What I see is the gaping holes in you. You're walking around, you're not even alive anymore. And you're thinking, oh, all I need is a little touch-up on the makeup, a little plastic surgery. And we're like, no, 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 you need a big overhaul, uh, you know, overhaul on your body. you got a big hole right there. It's like the show overhauling. Got to take some bumpers off, put a new engine in there. Verse 18, it says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover up your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now remember the three things that I said that they were famous for? The banking and the garments and the eye medicine? Now Jesus is coming to them and saying, buy from me gold that's refined in the fire. In other words, good money, not the stuff you're chasing after. Buy from me white clothes because those black clothes 
aren't doing it for you. Get from me the salve that will fix your eyes so you can see the world the way I want you to see the world. Because everything you're doing doesn't matter. You're chasing the wrong things, he's telling them. Because Jesus sees the, the way things really are, the major problems in our lives, the major hurts that we have, the major wounds. And he's telling them, I see that you are spiritually dead. I love kids. They think that uh, when you need something, you know, for a younger kid with no concept of money yet, well, you just go down to the ATM or you just go down to the bank and you get money. That's where money comes from. Just go to the bank. But in reality, you know, how how do we buy things? Well, obviously, it's with money. But where does money come from? Well, it comes from our time, our talent, our energies when somebody hires us, and they give us money for doing those things. But for Jesus, it's more than just money. He's the one who has made us. And we are to give back to him not only our money, but our talent and our our skills and our time. And God says, You give those things, and I will give you gold that has been refined in the fire. I'll give you white clothes. It means, you know, the acts of righteousness and and purity. Clothed in white. What does it mean to be clothed in white before God? That means you're pure. That means you've come, uh, you know, come overcome the obstacles, the adversity, and the life's challenges that we have, and you're still hanging in there with Jesus. An eye, you know, a salve for our eyes so we can see. <coughs> he is saying that the, the nature of the universe is different than what we can see. You see, we wake up every day, and we get up and we get ready. We eat breakfast, we go to work. We eat lunch, we keep working, we come home, we eat, and we watch some TV possibly. But see, the nature of the universe is different from what we see because we're blinded by this world. We don't see the spiritual stuff going on all around us. We don't see the spirit moving, the angelic beings that, that, that are here. We don't see this because we're, we're struck blind. And Jesus says, come with me and I will change what you see. I will open up the spiritual world to you if you follow me. I love the fact that he doesn't make them do this. He asks them. Because with a child, you can make them do something. But it doesn't mean they're going to learn it. He asks them. Verse 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with him and he with me. I loved a a painting by William Holman Hunt, and I, I forgot to look it up and put it on the PowerPoint, but it was done in the late 1800s. And a lot of people were kind of upset at this picture, but, but uh, you know, it has this picture, it kind of shows the inside and the outside, and, and it has this door in the middle, and, and you look at the door, and there's a handle on the inside, but not the outside, and people are like, you left the handle off the outside, and they're kind of laughing at him. And he's going, no, 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 no. 
That's a picture of Jesus, and that's a picture of your heart. And you have to open that door from the inside. Jesus is not going to bang down the door. You have to open it for him. He says, let me in. Let me in. Don't just have me on the outside. Let me in. Let me into your relationships. Let me into your decisions that you make. Let me into your family. Let me sit with you at the dinner table. Not just occasionally, but all the time. You know, some of us let them in a long time ago. What happens when you bring something into your house? You use it for a while, right? Because you, I mean, it must be important because you've brought it in. And then after a while, you're sitting there going, I really don't have a use for this. Or you go, well, I have a use for it, but I'm going to save it and I'm going to put it up for later. And, and, and it's like we do that. We, we go, oh, I'm going to put this on the shelf. And, and we're putting Jesus kind of in the back corner because we filled up the house with everything else. It's kind of hard to find him. Verse 21, he says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus wants us to overcome. He wants us to become either hot or cold. He's knocking at the door, asking to be let in. Or he's saying, dude, get me off the shelf. We have to go to him and say, Lord, what is a talent that I have that you want to start using in your kingdom? Either in the church or outside the church? You know, I, yeah, we, uh, I, I'm glad that, that Dan started doing the, some of the gardening. It kind of got us to do a, a couple other things and a couple other people going, oh, man, that kind of woke me up to let me do something. But, you, you know, I don't think serving always has to be in the church. I think everybody needs to serve in the church. Don't get me wrong. But not all, I mean, we're supposed to go out into the world and serve the world on behalf of God also. We also need to go, Lord, what time should I give you? You know, time can encompass so many things. It can encompass raising a child. Putting in the correct time to raise a child in the way that God wants us to raise that child. It could be time putting into to a friend that needs, that, you know, needs our comfort and the comfort that we bring from Jesus into their life. It could be the time that we put in doing the sprinklers up at the church or mowing the grass or, or doing all the little things, cleaning the bathrooms. What time should I give you, Lord? Lord, what commitment should I make to you? Man, we commit to so many different things, don't we? Well, we commit to buying a car, so we've got to pay the bill. We commit to buying a house, so we've got to pay that house payment. We commit to our, to our friends to, to do certain things, and we need to do those things. We commit to our job. Where do we commit to God? We have to ask the question, Lord, am I too comfortable for you to use me? Now, when we ask that question, don't, I mean, I don't want you to get the idea that I'm saying, oh, well, we're way too comfortable, so therefore you need to throw everything out, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
No, that's not what I mean. But we have to get to a point in saying, Lord, how comfortable am I? And do you want me to be this comfortable? And the Lord may say, yeah, I got you in a great position right now. I, you're, you're right where I want you. You're resting right now. You're, you're doing what I want you to do. But he almost also may say, <laughs> you've been comfortable for a long time. I need, to, I need to change things up in your life. I need you to go and do this for me. And then you have to make the choice. Okay, am I comfortable with that? And God may say, I don't care if you're un- uncomfortable with it. Go do it anyway. And then we have to make the choice. Am I going to do that? See, we have to look through our personal life. We have to look through our home life. We have to look through our family life. We have to look through our church life and say, Lord, how do you want to use me? Because heaven forbid we either become or we either stay a lukewarm church. Heaven forbid that. I don't want to be spit out. Man. I would hate to receive a letter like that. I mean, have you ever received a letter from the IRS? Man, you don't want to see that. Luckily, I, you know, personally, I've never received that. Luckily. But I could have just imagined that you're like, oh, what am I going to have to do here? Imagine receiving a letter from Jesus saying, you're lukewarm. You're not even hot. You're not even cold. He's saying, do something. Something. Let's pray. Lord, these are one of those truths in the Bible that we just really want to ignore sometimes. We want the passages like Jabez and and you blessing. We don't want to hear that we're lukewarm. I pray, Lord, that you search for our souls You search for our life, and you tell us where we're lukewarm at. Put us in a position that we need to respond to you. And I pray, Lord, that you you give us the strength through your Spirit to respond in a manner that you would be proud of. Like a happy father. Because you love us so much, you want to give us the blessings. But sometimes you have to give us the discipline and the truth before the blessing can come. And we thank you for being a great parent. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may his light reveal the truth in our lives. And may his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.